Chapter One of Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Mountain Adventures in the Various Countries of the World by John Timms. 1. Mont Blanc. Ascent in 1787 by de Saussure. On my way to Chamonix, at the beginning of July, I met at Solange the courageous Jacques Palma, who was coming to Geneva to inform me of his recent success. He had ascended to the summit of the mountain with two other guides. Rain was falling when I arrived at Chamonix, and the bad weather lasted four weeks, but I was determined to wait until the end of the season rather than miss a favorable opportunity. It came at last, that moment so much desired, and I set off on the 1st August, 1787, accompanied by a servant and by eighteen guides, who carried the scientific instruments and all the baggage that I required. My son had an ardent desire to go with me, but I feared that he was not as yet either robust enough or sufficiently inured to such violent and prolonged exertion, and therefore insisted on his renouncing the project. He remained at the priory, where he most carefully took observations, corresponding to those which I made on the summit. In order to be perfectly free in the choice of the places where we should pass the nights, we carried with us a tent, under which I reposed the first evening, on the top of the Montagne de la Côte. This day was free from hardships and dangers. We walked up either on turf or over rocks, and did it easily in five or six hours. But from thence to the summit we marched on, over ice and snow. The second day's work was not the easiest. We had first to cross the glacier de la Côte in order to gain the foot of a little chain of rocks which are embosomed in the snows of Mont Blanc. This glacier is difficult and dangerous. It is cut up into wide, deep, and irregular crevasses, which sometimes can only be crossed by means of bridges of snow, which are occasionally very thin and suspended over deep abysses. One of my guides had a narrow escape. He had gone in the evening with two others to examine the passage, and happily they had taken the precaution of tying themselves to each other with cords, for the snow gave way under him in the midst of a large and deep crevasse, and he remained suspended between his two companions. We passed close to the opening which had formed under him, and I trembled at the sight of the danger which he had run. The passage of this glacier is so difficult and so tortuous that it took me three hours to go from the top of La Cote to the first rocks of the isolated chain, although the distance is not more than three-quarters of a mile in a straight line. After having reached these rocks, we set out from them again in order to ascend, in a serpentine manner, into a little valley filled with snow which stretches from north to south to the very foot of the highest point. These snows are divided at intervals by enormous and superb crevasses, the clean and sharp cuttings of which show the snows disposed into horizontal beds, each of which beds corresponds to a year. And whatever might be the width of these crevasses, we could nowhere discover their depth. My guides wished to spend the night in the neighborhood of one of the rocks which we passed on this route, but as the highest of them is from six hundred to seven hundred fathoms below the summit, I wished to ascend higher. For that purpose it was necessary to encamp in the midst of the snows, and to this I had the greatest difficulty in getting my companions to consent. They imagined that during the night there reigns in these high snows a cold absolutely insupportable, and they seriously feared that they should perish through it. 
I told them at last that, as for myself, I was determined to go on with those of them of whom I was sure, that we should dig deeply in the snow, cover the excavation with a tent-cloth, then shut ourselves closely up in it, and that thus we should not suffer at all from the cold, however rigorous it might be. This arrangement reassured them, and we went forward. At four o'clock in the evening we reached the second of the three great plateaus of snow, which we had to cross, and there we encamped, at 1,455 fathoms, above the Priory, and at 1,995, above the sea, being ninety fathoms higher than the summit of the peak of Tenerife. We did not go on to the last plateau, because it is exposed to avalanches. The first one, over which we had just passed, is not exempt from them. We had crossed two of these avalanches, which had fallen since Balma's last journey, and the ruins of which covered the valley in all its extent. My guides set themselves first to excavate the spot in which we had to pass the night, but they quickly felt the effect of the rarity of the atmosphere, the barometer being at 16.3 inches. These robust men, for whom seven or eight hours' march was absolutely nothing, had not raised more than five or six shovels full of snow when they felt the impossibility of going on. They were obliged to rest every minute. One of them, who had turned back to get a barrel of some water, which we had seen in a crevasse, became ill on his way, came back without the water, and passed the evening in the greatest pain. Even I, who am so accustomed to the air of the mountains, and always feel better in it than in that of the plain, was utterly exhausted by the exertion of just preparing my meteorological instruments. This affection produced in us an unquenchable thirst, and we could only procure water by melting snow, for the water which we had seen in ascending proved to be frozen when we returned for it and the little charcoal chafing-dish served twenty thirsty persons, but slowly. In the middle of this plateau, enclosed between the last peaks of Mont Blanc on the south, its high steps on the east, and the Dôme de Goutet on the west, one sees hardly anything but snow, of a pure and dazzling whiteness, and on the highest peaks this forms the most singular contrast with the almost black sky of these high regions. You see there no living being, no appearance of vegetation, it is the abode of cold and silence. When I pictured to myself Dr. Picard and Jacques Balmat, arriving here just as the sun was declining, without shelter, without assistance, without even the certainty that men can live in the places which they aspire to reach, and notwithstanding, intrepidly pursuing their way, I was filled with admiration at their energy of mind and their courage. My guides, constantly haunted by fear of the cold, closed all the edges of the tents with such exactness that I suffered much from the heat and from the closeness of the air. Indeed, I was obliged to go out in the night to breathe. The moon was shining with the greatest splendor in the midst of a sky black as ebony. Jupiter also appeared particularly radiant from behind the highest point on the east of Mont Blanc, and the light reflected by all this basin of snow was so dazzling that one could only distinguish stars of the first and second magnitudes. We were just falling asleep when we were aroused by the noise of an avalanche, which covered part of the slope which we intended to climb on the morrow. At the break of day, the thermometer was three degrees below freezing. We set out late because it was necessary to melt the snow for breakfast and for the journey. It was drunk as soon as melted, and these fellows, who most religiously abstained from the wine which they had to carry, robbed me continually of the water which I had put in reserve. We began by ascending to the third and last plateau, and then we turned to the left in order to reach the highest rock on the east of the summit. 
the declivity is very steep, about thirty-nine degrees in some places. Everywhere it abounds in precipices, and the surface of the snow was so hard that those who went first could only make sure of their footing by chopping steps with a hatchet. We took two hours to ascend this slope, which is about two hundred and fifty fathoms in height. Arriving at the last rock, we turned towards the right to the west, in order to climb the last slope, of which the perpendicular height is about 150 fathoms. This slope only inclines from 28 to 29 degrees, and presents no danger, but the air there is so rare that our strength was quickly exhausted. Near the top I could not go more than 15 or 16 steps without taking breath. I felt, even from time to time, such a failure of strength that I was forced to sit down. But as soon as respiration returned, my strength returned with it, and then it seemed to me that I should be able, at one effort, to reach the top of the mountain. All my guides, in proportion to their strength, were in the same state. We took two hours from the last rock to the summit, and it was eleven o'clock when we arrived there. My eyes were first turned toward Chamonix, where I knew that my wife and sister were following my course through the telescope, with an anxiety unnecessarily great, no doubt but none the less cruel, and I experienced a very sweet and consoling feeling when I saw floating in the air the flag which they had promised to hoist the moment when they espied me on the highest point, and when their fears would be at least relieved for the time. I could then enjoy without regret the grand spectacle which lay beneath my eyes. A light vapour suspended in the lower regions of the air robbed me of the sight of the lower and more distant objects, such as the plains of France and Lombardy but I did not much mind this loss. What I saw, and saw with the greatest clearness, was the whole collection, the whole group of these high peaks, of which I had so long desired to know the organization. I could not believe my eyes. It seemed to me that it must be a dream when I beheld beneath my feet those majestic peaks, those veritable needles, le Midi, la Gentière, and le Géant, whose bases even I had so long found difficult and dangerous of access. I seized on their bearing, one to another, their connection, their structure, and one glance removed all those doubts which years of labor had not been able to clear up. During this time our guides set up the tent and placed in it the little table on which I was to make my experiments. But when I came to fix my instruments, I found myself every instant obliged to interrupt my work in order to get breath. And, if we consider that the barometer stood here only at 15.1 inches, and that thus the air was of hardly more than half its usual density, we shall understand that it is necessary to supplement the density by the frequency of inspiration. Then this frequency accelerates the motion of the blood, and the more so, as the arteries are no longer counterbalanced on the outside, by a pressure equal to that which they usually felt. So we were all feverish. When I remained perfectly quiet, I only felt a little uneasiness and a slight disposition to sickness. But when I took any trouble, or fixed my attention for a few moments together, and above all, when by stooping down I had contracted my chest, I was obliged to rest and take breath for two or three minutes. My guides experienced similar sensations. They had no appetites, and in truth, our provisions, which had become frozen by the way, were not calculated to excite them. They cared for neither wine nor brandy. In fact, they had discovered that strong liquors augment these uncomfortable sensations, no doubt by increasing the quickness of the circulation. Nothing but fresh water was found agreeable, and both time and trouble 
in lighting a fire were necessary in order to obtain that i remained on the summit until half-past three and although i did not lose a single moment yet i could not in these four hours and a half make all the experiments which i had frequently finished in less than three hours by the seaside i took great care however with those which were most essential quitting this magnificent belvedere i came in three-quarters of an hour to the rocks which formed the shoulder on the east of the summit the descent of this declivity of which the ascent had been so painful was easy and agreeable the snow was neither too hard nor too soft and as the movements of our bodies in coming down did not compress the diaphragm it did not try the breathing and so we did not suffer from the rarity of the air besides as this descent is broad and free from precipices there was nothing to alarm us or to retard the march but it was not thus with the descent which from the top of the shoulder conducts to the plateau on which we had slept the great rapidity of this slope the unbearable brightness of the sun reflected by the snow which showed to us the precipices under our feet and made them appear more terrible than they were rendered it extremely painful besides as the hardness of the snow had made our march difficult in the morning so now its softness produced by the heat of the sun incommoded us in the evening because under this softened surface we found it hard and slippery as we had all doubted of this descent some of the guides had sought for another while i was occupied in making my observations but their search having been in vain we were constrained to return by the same way that we had gone up however thanks to the care of my guides we did it without accident and that in less than an hour and a quarter we passed near the place where we had if not slept at least rested on the preceding night and we pushed on a league further as far as the rock near which we had stopped in ascending i determined to sleep there and made them fix the tent against the southern extremity of this rock in a truly singular situation it was on the snow on the edge of a declivity exceedingly rapid which descends from the valley commanded by the dome de goutte with its crown of seracs and which is terminated on the south by the peak of mont blanc note in the alps they give the name of serac to a species of white close cheese which they obtain from whey and which they press into rectangular cases in which they take the form of cubes or rather of rectangular parallelopipeds the snows at a great height frequently take this form when they freeze after having been drenched by rain they become then extremely compact and in this state if a thick bed of hardened snow gets on to a declivity so that it slides in a mass and that in sliding some portions of the mass do not go so straight their weight forces them to break into fragments nearly rectangular of which some are perhaps fifty feet every way and which on account of their homogeneity are as regular as if they had been cut with scissors End of note. at the bottom of this declivity there was a large and steep crevasse which separated us from the valley and which engulfed everything that we let fall from anywhere near our tent we had chosen this position to avoid the danger of avalanches and in order that the guides finding shelter in the clefts of the rock we should not be crowded into the tent as we had been on the previous night i contemplated the mass of clouds which floated under my feet above the valleys and mountains which were less elevated than we were these clouds instead of presenting flat or smooth surfaces such as one sees when looking up from below at them displayed forms that were extremely odd towers castles giants and appeared to be moved by vertical winds which came from different points of the countries situated under them 
above all these clouds i saw the horizon bounded by a band composed of two lines a lower one of a blackish red and the upper one lighter and resembling a flame of a beautiful yellow colour varying transparent and shaded we supped merrily and with good appetites after which i passed an excellent night on my mattress it was then only that i enjoyed the pleasure of having accomplished the design formed twenty-seven years before in my first journey to chamonix in seventeen sixty a project which i had so often abandoned and taken up again and which had been to my family a continual subject of anxiety and disquiet this prepossession of mind had the character of a sort of malady my eyes had never met mont blanc which could be seen from many places in our neighbourhood without my experiencing a sort of sorrowful pang at the moment in which i reached the top my satisfaction was not complete it was still less so when i left it for i only then saw what i had not been able to do but in the silence of the night after i had well rested from my fatigue and when i recapitulated the observations that i had made when above all i retraced the magnificent picture of the mountains which i carried graven in my head and when lastly i encouraged the well-founded hope of finishing on the col du Géant, what i had not been able to do and which really will never be done en mont blanc then i felt a true and unmixed satisfaction on the fourth of august the fourth day of our journey we did not set out until six o'clock in the morning shortly after we arrived at the hut we were next obliged to descend a slope of snow the inclination of which was about forty-six degrees and to cross a large crevasse over a bridge of snow so slight that it was not at first more than three inches thick and one of the guides who swerved a little from the middle got one of his legs over the side at an hour's march beyond the hut we came to crevasses which were open and in order to avoid them it was necessary to descend an inclined slope of fifty-five degrees coming at last to the glacier which we must recross we found it so changed in the last twenty-four hours that we could not discover the route which we had taken in ascending for the crevasses were widened the bridges were broken and often finding no way we were forced to return on our steps while oftener still we were obliged to make use of our ladder in order to cross crevasses which it would have been impossible to pass without its assistance just as he had reached the other side one of the guides lost his footing he slid to the edge of a chink into which he all but fell and in which he lost one of the stakes of my tent in this moment of fright an enormous piece of ice fell into a great crevasse with a noise which shook the whole glacier but at last we got safe on to the rock at half-past nine in the morning free from all further trouble or danger we took only two hours and a half from thence to the priory at chamonix to which i had the satisfaction of bringing back all my guides in perfectly good health our reception was at once joyful and affecting for all the relations and friends of the guides came to embrace them and congratulate them on their return and my wife my sister and my sons who had passed together a long and anxious time at chamonix in the expectation of this expedition as well as several of our friends who came from geneva to join in the welcome all expressed at this joyful moment the satisfaction which the fears that had preceded it rendered only the more lively and touching according to the degree of interest which we had inspired i remained the next day at chamonix in order to make some comparative observations after which we all returned happily to geneva from whence i could now look en mont blanc with a true pleasure and without the feeling of longing and anxiety which it had before caused me h b de saussure voyage dans les alpes end of chapter one
Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan.